people who do our kind of work, you have to have a love for what you do because, you know, it, it is difficult and it takes up a lot of your life. Welcome to Careers in Fashion. Hi guys, welcome to the show. Today we are joined by Karen Hurd, International Recruitment Development Coordinator. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, perfect. So um, we're really excited to uh, introduce our guest today. Uh, we're joined by Academy Award nominee Mark Pilcher, live on set from Fantastic Beasts. He is also fresh from design hair and makeup for the hit Netflix series Bridgerton. We're also with LCF International Coordinator Liz McLafferty, who is currently researching appropriations of identity through hair and faith. Liz and Mark have known each other since attending LCF and have worked together in theatre. Today we will hear about their experiences in the industry. Brilliant. Um, so I actually have the pleasure of working with Liz in uh, my day-to-day job. So we, we talk all the time, but this is my first chance to hear from Mark. So thanks, Mark, for joining us today. Um, so we're going to start with your your story, really, your story from sort of back in the day. We're going to focus on your time in the theatre and the, the world of performance. So I guess it's now for you two to just maybe go back in time and, and just, just reflect on that journey. Maybe start with your LCF starting point where you met. Sure. Um, yeah, so Liz and I went to uh, London College of Fashion in 1986. Um, obviously, we were very young then, about five years old. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we were there, we were at the college from 86 to 88. Um, <clears throat> we had a great class. There was, back in the day, there was, there was I don't know how many classes there are now, but there was only one, one class of 15 students. Um, and yeah, we, we had a great time. We, we loved, I loved my time at LCF. Um, I was never a lover of school, but I loved my college years. They were great fun. Um, and lots of, uh, lots of us are still in contact, you know, 30 odd, odd years later, we have, you know, a group app and, uh, yeah, but we, um, I, I, I was, I went into, um, theater after leaving LCF, um, kind of by fluke. Uh, one of the other students uh, had done some work on Chester Musical and they offered her a job, <clears throat> but she'd already got a job on another show. So uh, she put my name forward and I went for an interview. I hadn't even necessarily thought about going into theatre. I didn't know which way I was going to go. And and I got the job. So ended up doing theatre for about 15 years. You know, it's such a, a great grounding for if, if anyone's interested in doing period hair, um, it's working in theatre is the best sort of grounding to, to gain your knowledge, you know, of, of you know everything, every aspect of period air. So yes, that that was my start into the industry from from LCF. Yeah. Thanks, Mark and and Liz. I know your story, but let's um let's hear it from you. Okay. Well, obviously, Mark just mentioned we met in 1986. I think it was September 1986 to be precise. And yes, we were a, a small group of 15 students at that time. Um, we didn't, LCF didn't even have a degree then. It was called a HND in theatre. So it was the precursor to what is now BA Honours Hair, Makeup uh, for Prosthetics and Performance. Um, yep, 
and um, Mark was the youngest in the group, only being 18. And I was the oldest. I was a mature student. I was 26. So I'll let you work out the maths yourself. She interviewed on the same day as well. Because, you know, what? I remember there was Liz. I even remember what you were wearing. <laughs> and, you know, and, and I was sort of in awe because obviously Liz had been a hairdresser for quite a few years beforehand. And although I trained in hairdressing, I'd only been to college, whereas she'd been there, and, you know, lived a life. And, and yes, yeah, she had all that knowledge. So I sort of remember thinking at the interview, I thought, oh, that she'll, she'll definitely get in, you know. And actually at the interview, I was told because I was so young that the chances were that I probably wouldn't get in that year that because there were so many older students. And, and but they said, you know, we, we do really like you. So if you don't get in, please come back next year. And I remember going away, you know, all forlorn thinking, oh, that was it. You know, what am I going to do for the next year? And, and I was lucky enough to get in. So which was, which was brilliant. Yeah, I've forgotten that we actually met at the interview day. You've just reminded me that's true. And actually, there was a fire alarm during the interview. And we all had to evacuate the building. And for those <laughs> students who are at John Prince Street, we were actually interviewed in the John Prince Street building. We actually used to have our classes in John Prince Street. And I think on the second floor where student admin are now, that used to be a hairdressing room, all pink chairs and very amazing in a barbering room because we used to do barbering and hair and you know, and we used to have clients coming in we had old ladies coming in every week to have a shampoo and set so we learned like it was in the salon and um, even though I'd done hairdressing for a number of years I was still told that I was rubbish and it wasn't right and anyway it was quite fun we had a great time with our teachers we had some amazing teachers um, we, we did almost the same subjects that students do now maybe the slightly name was the name was different contextual studies was historical studies we did lots of um, practical work we did lots of industry-based projects so we had this a very similar experience to what students have now but we were a small group and it was the year was longer then because I remember I was still studying and still doing our projects and Glastonbury was on which is well it's different now with the year is a bit different but still um, education has moved on and technology has moved on and yet we graduated in 1988 um, we didn't have the big graduation ceremony that that you do now but we still graduated and actually for me I never wanted to go into theatre. That was my nightmare. I hated musicals with a vengeance because I remember every Christmas we had to watch Singing in the Rain and I hated it. <clears throat> anyway, um, I did go into theatre and it was a friend of Mark's, a girl called Debbie, who um, also has a, a Makeup Artist Academy um, <clears throat> award for hair and makeup. And she lives in L.A. now and has a, you know, she works and teaches and uh, has a family in Los Angeles and we uh, she got me a job on Lens Arab that was my first job but previous to that I'd done a few um, jobs with Mark on a show called um, Aspects of Love and another show called Copacabana where we met the man himself whose name I forget now but and also we met Shirley Bassey in the toilet queue so it was quite funny. Uh, we had lots of fun on these shows, working together. It was a great way to learn <clears> the, the <throat> techniques of being, you know, a wig dresser um, on a show that is fast paced. Because on these shows, you have to, you have a plot, you have to 
arrive, set up your plot, various wig changes throughout the night, you have to prep your actors, you have to read the, sometimes if it's story language, I had to read the, 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 um, the book beforehand, and it was just a wonderful introduction into that world, and something that I thought I would hate, I loved, it was the most wonderful time, I worked in theatre, um, not completely full time, I, I was what you would call a swing, and that means I do anything from three to four days a week to sometimes, you know, numerous weeks and months if people are um, on holiday or, you know, taking days off. But I loved it. I loved the experience and it allowed me to do other things. But it, I would say for a young um, students thinking that theatre isn't for them, do it because it is the best introduction to working with artists, working with hair. It gives you confidence. It really, you have to sometimes be the quiet, silent, you know, person some days. And other days you have to be the real chatty person depending on who you're working with. But skills-wise, amazing way to become competent, confident and skilled in working with hair. And Mark actually taught me quite a lot because I was quite timid with hair. Even though I was a hairdresser before, working with wigs and working on those training head things, if anybody can work in these training heads and students who or LCF, I don't know what I'm talking about, these funny dolly heads you've got to train on. If you can do anything on them, well, you, you're, you've made it. But you're in control of the hair. And I used to think, I can't do this. The hair is doing its own thing. But Mark always said, nope, you're in control of the hair. It only does what you want it to, and coax it and persuade it to do. And that really helped me quite a lot. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Mark. But I think that's great intro to your story as students at LCF and it's reflecting on your study time and how that took you into your first stage of careers and great advice for future students or current students I think we are going to get a renaissance to go back to theatre to go back to live performance you know post-pandemic times and and I think that world is is a really exciting one to enter. Um, theme. Yeah, so I wanted to ask um, a question for Mark here. Uh, what would you say are the differences between working in film, TV and theatre? Um, they are all pretty similar. Um, obviously, when in theatre, your work with wigs, etc., um, <clears throat> you it's much more, um, it's much bigger, it's much more... Um, in, in film, obviously, you have to break things down and make the hair look much more natural, whereas in a theatre, the people are so far away, you kind of make your wig dressing much bolder so that they can see it from afar, whereas in film, you want it to look really natural. So whatever you would normally do in the theatre, I, I would always run my fingers through it, break it up um, and make it smaller generally, just to, just, just to, to get that real naturalness to, to it. And also... I think in theatre you would everything was was generally set on rollers, whereas um, <clears throat> in in film I would pin curl everything just to give a slightly um, looser wave, a more natural and a flatter wave. You don't want things to stand out so much. Um, but you know the the day to day stuff is 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 the same. Obviously with film you do a lot more lot longer hours and you start a lot earlier. You know um, the hours are really long in film. Um, and, and you know, in theatre, you, you didn't have a, there wasn't really a social life because you worked every evening. Um, so then you did your social life after the show with with the cast, you with cast and crew, you'd all go out together. And um, but uh, with with film, it's long hours, early starts, 
but it's it's just as great the the, the two of them they're both you know i love the, the people who do our kind of work you have to have a love for what you do because it is you know it, it is difficult and it takes up a lot of your life but you know if you have that absolute passion for it i think you'll it will suit you and and i have a passion for for doing hair and makeup i love <clears throat> i love what i do you know and when the when the alarm goes off at 3 30 in the morning sometimes and you've got to drive two hours to a muddy field in the middle of nowhere <laughs> you have to remember that passion because <laughs> it's not always there <laughs> absolutely um how, how did you get into um the film industry after 15 years being in theater so <clears throat> again every, everything that's always happened to me has always sort of come out the blue you know uh, uh, it, it's always been that way with, with my life really and so I was working on My Fair Lady in the West End and a friend of a friend was doing a, a little uh, TV film in uh, Romania I think it was a thing called Boudica about Queen Bodicea and she had been there for about two months, two or three months before Christmas. And it was one of those jobs, it always happens. When you go to somewhere like Romania, you know the reason they're going to Mar Romania is because they're doing it on the cheap. So they don't want to spend an awful lot of money. So <clears throat> of course they said to her, you can't take anyone with you. <clears throat> You're gonna have to use local crew. And when that happens, obviously, you know, other countries don't make the kind of films that we do and also don't often have the history of the knowledge. So <clears throat> basically, before they were due to come back for, for Christmas, she asked her team, her Romanian team, to uh, wash the wigs. And they basically put the whole lot in a bath and swished them all around and all the hair turned in on the wigs. And they had a £40,000 insurance claim. So... <laughs> can tell that the producers weren't too happy with that so she basically said over the Christmas break I'm not going back unless you let me have you know a, somebody who has a knowledge of wigs to, to help me so I literally I had a phone call through her I didn't even meet her I literally got on a plane to Romania I was really nervous with my kit and I had to spend 400 pounds excess baggage for, for traveling all my kit um, and basically got there and had a great time I, I, I was there for three weeks just finishing off the film working in the studio and I had a great time I actually loved Romania I mean it was it was snowed every day so it looked really beautiful and, uh, and then basically at the end of that job she she said you're working for me now I you know I, I want to you know to work with you I think you're great so I went back to, to theatre literally for a couple of months until she had another job and then I left and went to work with her and then I worked with her she's no longer with us unfortunately um, but I worked with her for about five years so um yeah it's great that that was how i i made it it was, it was a total fluke as i said you know it was just a call out the blue can you fly to romania and because i because i'd quite often said oh, i'd quite like to do film but i didn't really have any contacts at that time so um so i didn't really know how to go about it so when you're working on a project or um whatever that might be where do you start forming ideas and concepts for wigs or makeup first of all i would read the script two or three times um, because it takes a while to get the whole thing into your head. And as I'm reading it, I, I basically start to formulate my ideas of, of the, the personality of the characters, because 
the great thing with hair and makeup is that we tell it's not just the actors or the script that tell the story of a piece you can tell the story with the hair and makeup there, you know there's a journey um and so say with bridgerton um uh with with characters like eloise um she because she was this free-thinking feminist you know she hates wearing dresses she hates going to doesn't want to go to the parties um and in regency times there was a fashion to have um a mullet hairdo and actually i mean i would have liked to have taken her her hair even shorter and made it a really quite drastic mullet but you know you have to get all the approvals from america and you know whatever um so i i just thought with that it would be it would suit her you know her character her uh her, her whole way you know but obviously you still have to sort of there have to had to be i had to leave it long enough as well because later in in the scripts it says that mother turns her into a little mini daphne so you you know it has to be long enough to be able to put up and add things to um i also obviously researched paintings and books from the period um but also i grew up watching hollywood movies i mean the whole reason why i do what i do is because i loved watching hollywood movies and i love music and pop and music videos of the 80s and and all the musicals the, the hollywood black and white movies and and i people always say i have an, an elephant's memory i just remember so many things and i just bring bring out that knowledge as i'm formulating it i'll think oh now that could look like a certain person did in that you know movie and 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 even if they're not from the same period you can influence it into it to just uh just help it along and also to make it look different you know i don't want to do things where i'm just making things look like everyone else has done for the last 50 years you know in in period movies because i generally do period it's it's i'm not really a, a modern day contemporary person <laughs> it's not my thing <laughs> i guess that you get different cultures that influence that, uh, the, the French era, the, the um, Grecian era, uh, and all this, uh, I imagine, that influenced the characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, what we forget is, I mean, I did a film in Azerbaijan a couple of years ago, and the film was um, being funded by Turkey and Azerbaijan, and uh, it was set, it was, it was, um, it was a famous, Azerbaijan story, um, love affair, um, set in the First World War, the period of the First World War. <clears throat> and it's funny how you think, you know, I, we, I basically had part of my job was to teach these 15 Turkish hairdressers, boys. They didn't speak a word of English. I didn't speak a word of Turkish. And they had never done period hair. And I went along thinking, oh, my God, this is going to be traumatic. And they were so brilliant and they learned so quickly. I was so proud of them by the end of it. But I would talk to the, re the reason I'm saying this conversation is that I would talk to them about, I would say, oh, no, no, you can't do it like that because then that looks Victorian. And they would, and somebody would translate and then they would go, what does that mean? And I'm like, well, it looks Victorian. What's Victorian? But of course, they don't, wouldn't use that word Victorian because Queen Victoria was our queen. So, you know, it was just interesting the way you, you know, you have to fathom when you go abroad that different cultures and the different periods in time and how they're all so different, you know, wherever you go. So to both of you, um, how does the process differ from production to production? Um, so characterizations, working with different designers, directors, uh, the wider teams? Every job is different. 
basically yeah and also you get like at the moment i'm working on on fantastic beast film which is a big film you know it's one of those films where there's a huge crew there's two or three units you know hundreds of people per day on set um obviously it's that's slightly cut down because of covid um but then the, you know the following week you might do a nice little period film where it's a really minimal crew you know like i i actually prefer to do the smaller films because I, I, I prefer just that intimacy of knowing everyone really well rather than there being 500 people on set you know it's it's just nicer it makes a, a nicer atmosphere i think yeah. but uh, but obviously the big films quite often have more money so <laughs> so it's quite nice to do a mixture can you tell us a little bit more about the tools and techniques you use to achieve certain looks um, and express the nature of the characters being depicted? Yeah, um, so there are various things. I mean, with Bridgerton, um, I when I went to her first uh, costume fittings, uh, Lady Featherington, um, I could see instantly that I know that Ellen, the costume designer, had been to the uh, Christian Dior exhibition at the V&A and had decided she wanted to have those sort of influences in the costumes. And more than anyone's, Lady Featherington, her her, her dresses were total 1950. You know, they, they were still obviously long, as they should be for the Regency period, but she had all these sort of off-the-shoulder, you know, cowl neck um, uh, dresses with with big floral prints you know very very 50s so when you when you see things like that you have to sort of if if she'd have just had regency normal hair it would have looked strange it might she might it would it just wouldn't have looked right so i instantly thought well we have to keep the silhouette of the period but what i'll do is give her the front of her, of her hair i'll base on um it was kind of a mixture between deborah carr and elizabeth taylor you know that real fine 1950s look set front but but with then we added all the basket weaves to still keep a period feel to it and make it not look out of place but also so that it would blend in with her her outfits um, and again with Daphne, um, she was based on uh, Audrey Hepburn from War and Peace. I just, uh, that mainly came from the, literally the first time I met Phoebe. Uh, she had, has these fabulous eyebrows. And then I, and I put a wig. We were just trying some brown wigs with a fringe. And the minute I sort of looked at her, I was just like, I, all I could see was, was Audrey Hepburn. And obviously, again, from my knowledge of films, went back and, and instantly Googled War and Peace. And there were just, as I looked at the images, I was just like, well, that feels like Daphne to me. And I showed, obviously, everything clear through um, Chris, the showrunner um, in America, and he loved the ideas. So we kind of went from there, really, yeah. For both of you, just interested to sort of think about how you believe hair and makeup can impact on the identity of a person or character. One of the projects I'd like to um, talk about is the project that I did in the Zatari refugee camp um, and this was a, a three-year project and this project came about because I was working at LCF and I met um, Helen Story who is one of our professors and she's an activist artist she became interested in humanitarian um, issues regarding uh, people and mobility of people especially refugees from country to country she highlighted this um, by using a disused donated refugee tent 
from the Zatari refugee camp, made it into this uh, outfit called Dress for Our Time to highlight, you know, displaced peoples. I'm cutting this story very short because it's a very long story and there's a lot more detail to it. Um, she visited the camp to find out where this, you know, tent had came from and also ways in which LCF could work with some of the women there. And the women were very keen to learn skills, skills in what she was quite surprised to find out were makeup and hair. These were displaced families who'd fleed from Syria during the war, had had to leave their homes, leave their possessions, leave their lifestyle behind and live in Jordan in this refugee camp, which is the third largest city in Jordan. I think over 100,000 people live there now. And a lot of some of these women came with already skills in hair, makeup, maybe from a beauty salon or a local salon. And of course, it's a camp. It survives like any normal city. There are there are people who have babies, get married, get engaged, have parties, you know, um, weddings. So life continues in its normal cycle. And some of the women who had these skills were able to support the families a little bit better because the general way that a family is supported in the refugee camp is they have a they have a supply of dry goods that they get they get every week and they get tokens to buy fresh you know produce you know meat and vegetables and fruit and this is all given to them by the Jordanian government but those who can make extra money also have a slightly better lifestyle for their families so the women asked for this so this became a project that LCF developed and I was um, brought in because of my hair and makeup experience. I wasn't teaching hair and makeup at that time, but I had a knowledge. I had a lot of alumni um, who were working in the industry. We set up a beauty um, amnesty and raised over £100,000 in products to take out to the camp, which was quite difficult to manoeuvre in the end, but we managed it. Um, and I worked with one of my alumni to deliver short courses to the women and give them LCF short course certificates and also kits of products. I think every kit was worth at least, you know, £4,000. And then they were able to set up their small, unique businesses to then provide for their families. And it was a way of empowering um, people, of women's empowerment, because... Um, these women had fleed, they may have had a career, they may have been a university professor, a musician, could have been many other things, but now they were in a camp trying to make, you know, life and progress with their families. So we, we helped, we feel we helped to empower them, but it was also important that we didn't go and try and dictate to them, this is how, you know, and we had to work with this as a kind of a working with these women. So it was a really good understanding of culture and so a bit of um, research had to be done on the types of the types of cultural referencing that they would look to and that also makes reference to what Mark just said you know when you go to a different country you can't assume that these um, people will have the same um, understanding of you the same education it's a bit like all of our students coming from amazing countries all over the world like six, 60 or 70 different countries bring with them cultural and life experiences so we have to go in and also working in this type of environment you're working with very vulnerable people so I felt that that was a real privilege to be able to do that and it's something that has continued since we have um, been in the camp and it's a project that will continue to evolve in other ways such as working with the young girls and learning them skills as well so it was great to do that and um, 
yeah, that was one of the, the things that I did that started my interest in hair because obviously it's um, a culture who cover their hair. And so through religious reasons, the hair is covered. And then um, recent, more recently, I went on a road trip to America from San Francisco to Montana. And we stopped in a place called Hillvale in Utah. And we noticed there was, a, there was groups of young girls, maybe groups of like 10 of them, uh, or even more from the ages of like 20, you know, down to, you know, very young, six, seven, immaculately dressed in these kind of eggshell blue prairie dresses, prairie dresses style from Little House in the Prairie, but with really coiffured hair. And the hairstyle was quite quiffed at the front and it was almost down to, you know, waist length or longer, intricately plaited. And this is a group of, these are groups of people identically dressed, no matter what age, identically coiffured. We then found out the, this group were called uh, Fundamentalist Latter-day Saints. It's a breakaway group from the Mormon religion um, who in religious terms are quite separate from the Mormon religion. And that interested me quite a lot. How come this look, which is highly coiffured, really long and obviously takes a long time to do and each person dressed the same, what is it all about? So that started my interest in hair, faith and identities. I'm working on that project at the moment and it's something that um, will interest many people from many religions because hair is something we adorn or we hide depending on your faith or your belief. And I looked at the, looked at the Bible, you know, Samson had his hair cut off and that was then he lost all his power. There's other religions that have special hairstyles or cover them up and yeah, so I've started to visualize the project and that's I'm working on that at the moment so yeah. Liz and I have the privilege we, we work internationally and, and we very much sort of celebrate that that culture that individuality that our students bring and, I, and this is such good examples of of how important Mark's um, experience of, of going and working in other cultures Liz talking about this experience and although we're not doing it physically at the moment um we we think you know students at LCF that come together globally from parts of the UK to parts of Europe and literally the world the, the kind of the knowledge the those really really interesting influences the, the cultural symbols there, there's so much that we learn from each other and I think it's so clear from both of you that 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 you know in, in our teaching and learning we, we really push that breadth of knowledge to look at the past to look at outside of your immediate knowledge bank and, and these these examples I think are great great examples Mark do you do you have any further um I suppose particular experiences that have really influenced you that you would like to share when I did I did this series called The Collection a few years ago, <clears throat> which was uh, based at the end of the war. It was about the introduction of the of the Dior look, basically, although they didn't call it Christian Dior. It, it was given a different name. And obviously there you have to interpret that even though you're in, in, in the same period in time, if you look at pictures of, of French people from the, 90, the late 1940s, in France or Paris to London, there is a definite, you know, a different look, as the same as there would be in America. You know, um, 
so yes you have to you can't just go there and go i'm going to do what i always do at home i'm going to do a 1940s hairdo like this or one like that you know i looked i used uh, lots of images from um, the robert dossinger books um he's you know amazing photographer and you know in the books i noticed that all the men you know when you do a production over here everyone seems to slick the men's hair down you know really flat to the head whereas in in in, in, in all these um, images in his books the man the, the, the hair was free and messy and curly so I introduced that into the look so yes you can't always you can't take your again it just shows it with your um, research to, to look at things like that you have to make sure that you look at the right images <clears throat> rather than just saying oh well I know what I know you know you, you need to adapt it to you know for, for, for each nationality I think that, again, we see that a lot in, in the ways that our, our students respond, looking at very subtle or very nuanced aspects of a culture that we might have a very particular view about. And it's perhaps something much more particular to a region or a time or a place. So really fascinating. On a, on a different level, Mark, you, you've been nominated for several awards let me let me list a few of them so so very recently two awards for your work on Bridgerton which has um has been so inspirational right now um you've you've won many other makeup and hair um so specifically makeup and hair stylist guild awards for your work on Downton Abbey um and you were an academy award nominee so in other words an oscar nominee so exciting for your work on mary queen of scots so of course we're now in awe of the amazing accolades just share a little bit about how that felt feels to be honest it was i still don't almost believe that it happened you know it was and and as as you get nominated because 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 what happens is um they look at the film in on a whole and you know with the academy awards they can they don't have to be nominated for everything so if if they look at a certain aspect they'll say well we're just going to nominate that for prosthetics or we're just going to nominate it for makeup or we're going to do everything um and they obviously chose with with mary queen of scots to do everything and then you you obviously have to write write a little piece to the academy about what you did on the film and then they choose because it, there can be up to three nominees um they choose who should be nominated so it, it, it's literally their choice and but to start off with you, you you know the film is up as a piece and it gets down to a short list and then they you have this thing called the bake-off so basically you have to sort of either go there I and mean, i I couldn't go there because um, I, I was already had a holiday booked, unfortunately. But you you, you have to go and basically sell the show um, to them. You know, just a short piece about everything that was involved in the film, and then obviously they then vote from there. But at each stage, I kept thinking, oh well, this will be the last stage. You know, we won't. You know, we've made the shortlist, but that will be it. But, you know, we won't get any further. And then when that email comes through, and I, I actually weirdly enough the. The, the way I found out was um, our friend Debbie's, who lives in LA. Her husband is a is a cam works in cameras, and he films the Oscars. So they'd had a dress um, dress rehearsal the night the day before, and he and so the names come up on the screen. And this isn't how obviously how I found out totally because um, he's they're sworn to secrecy. So he came home that night and he knew that 
I'd been nominated, but he couldn't tell her. And and then so she so he was like dying so desperate to phone her and go, Mark's been nominated. Um, but then the email came through, and then from then on it was just it was just the best sort of couple of months of my life because there were there were um, sort of nominee parties here in London. There were champagne receptions at Claridge's, and then when you get that, the one thing I regret I, um, because it was kind of a work thing, but but um, a, a month or no, a few a few weeks before they have this thing called the nominee nominees dinner, which I couldn't go to, and they always say it's actually the best part of the the whole thing because you turn up and what they do is they don't put all the makeup people together. They literally split every nominee uh, into onto these tables for dinner so you could be on a table with Steve McQueen and Tom Hanks you know it's, it's and, and they always say it's amazing and then they do a big photo at the end and you get sent the photo and of course I got sent the photo but I wasn't on it because I didn't get to go but yeah it was it was just the most amazing time of my life um, and to, you know the the day you know to, to, to walk the red carpet as well was just you but you you sort of go into a bit of a daze and then you forget you know it's almost like it's such such an unreal experience but I mean it's meant a lot to me and obviously things like that have sort of helped my career you know move more towards the design um, design design element because obviously if you've got nominations people are a little bit more um, interested in <laughs> giving you their films to look after. Brilliant. So, so whilst you you missed some of those amazing pre parties, you did you did make that red carpet in 2019. Yeah. Wow. You're when actually when you when we get in to the awards, we was we were sort of quite away at the back of the auditorium, so you don't really get you know you're not really down the front with the, you know the Jack Nicholsons and 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 all those people. So, but it was yeah it, it was a great night. It was a great night. And some after parties? No, we didn't really. Um, I mean, they always say that if you have, if you've won an Oscar, you 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 have free reign to go to any party that you want. But yeah, we didn't know each one to be honest. And it was, I think we went back to the hotel and had a gin and tonic. You know, it was, <laughs> we had the dinner, but we had the dinner, the the um, <clears throat> the after dinner. But yeah, no parties. But, but amazing experience and and probably yeah a bit dreamy it sounds um and a bit bit but amazing that it happened in 2019 thanks yes. thankfully so I guess just for both of you, you you've stayed in touch for all of this time and you referenced friends from your time at LCF and obviously you also talked about the importance of mm. how you know friends of friends or, or people that you know have helped bring these other opportunities so our students you know when hopefully we're, we're maybe not networking in, in usual ways at the moment but as things reopen and we go back into the world what what advice do you give our students and as they enter the world or as they complete their studies at LCF? When we when we were students in the 80s there was no mobile phone there was no internet there was no twitter there was only conversation and meeting up so we had to stay in touch and you know we would we would meet up we would stay in touch we would communicate with each other we would use the telephone we would um the telephone yes the landline it's a very strange thing that people don't use these days and we stayed in touch and 
I think, and actually, one thing I want to mention before I forget it, because I am quite an old person and my brain is a bit weary and locked down these days. Um, our group um, had quite a unique um, experience because we had two Marks. There was Mark, who we've got this, this today, Mark Pilcher. We had another Mark, Mark Coulier. And Mark Coulier went on to do um, have his own company called Coulier Creatures. And not to overshadow anything about Mark, but we've all stayed together. And Mark Coulier um, has two Oscars, an Oscar for Mary Queen of Scots and an Oscar for Grand Budapest Hotel. He's also been nominated for a Makeup Artist Guild Award this year for a film called Pinocchio. So if any special effects students are listening to this please watch Pinocchio and Mark will tell you. If if Mark is not nominated for another Oscar this year I'm going to give up and get a job in Starbucks because <laughs> and also if he doesn't win the Oscar I'm going to go and work in Starbucks because if you you have to watch Pinocchio it's not out yet I've seen it um, on the Academy screening room it the work is just phenomenal it's so beautiful it's a beautiful film it's Italian, all in Italian um, <clears throat> with the amazing Roberto Benigni playing um, Geppetto and Mark's work on it is just breathtaking this little boy you he, he looks like he's made of wood I mean literally it's 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 just stunning stunning work and every not only that just everything else in the movie the hair the makeup is beautiful so I do believe yes hopefully Mark will have another Oscar this year Number three. Mark, it might be a different Mark that gets an Oscar this year. Mm. It brings back so many childhood memories, uh, Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Thanks but, for that. And I would just say to the students, just um, <clears throat> if you want to go into film, there are uh, lots of little aspects. What, one thing is it's really important to learn how to drive, you know, as well as your makeup skills, because people will not not employ you but but you know the, the, you know you can't be late you have to be if you're like I said if you're in a muddy field in the middle of nowhere at three o'clock in the morning you can't get a bus you so it's either a taxi or you drive um, so I think little little things like that, that you think have got nothing to do with the industry but are actually really important timekeeping you can never be late you can never phone in sick you know it's just not the done thing um, and but but when you leave college, keep trying, keep. Um, I think it's really important that even if, because at the moment, obviously through Bridgerton, I, I get hundreds of emails a day from college students asking, you know, for trainee positions, and you can't give, you know, you can't just hand them out just because you got an email. Generally, most of the time, you you meet new trainees on a job in a crowd room. You know, at the moment we've got seven or eight trainees on this, and they're all brilliant. They're all really good. I would use them all again, and obviously. But you need to get there in the first place. So I would, you know, even if I would, you know, offer my services up as a work experience, because if you come in as a work experience, even, and people see that you're good, they'll go, oh, oh, we'll give her a trainee position on the next job or, or, you know, or when one becomes available. So I think that things like that are really important. And obviously as well. <clears throat> computer skills and you know because most trainees on, on on jobs these days you know it's all about you know the payroll you know you get involved with the payroll you have to do the timesheets you have to do you know all that kind of stuff so a good office knowledge is is sort of helpful too which is really annoying I, I always make sure that even 
I always get my trainees to, to make someone up on the job, even if it's the, the kids, you know, that, you know, our trainee did the Bridgerton kids, she did, you know, because they, you know, it's, it's very easy for the trainees to end up just becoming office girls. And, you know, you, you've got to really, you know, they need to, you know, bolster their makeup, um, makeup tricks as well. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Liz. They, they are amazing tips for our students and our graduating students really like just the idea of having a driving license is, is just brilliant um, advice so we're going to just end now with some quick five questions that our current uh, BA hair and makeup for fashion students have put forward um, Seth you're going to put forward the first question so uh, what type of historical research is involved in creating hair and makeup designs inspired by specific historical periods for film and TV? I would I would go to go to paintings, paintings and, and you know, places like uh, one place I would always go to are um, places like the, the, the War Museum, Waterloo, um, the National Portrait Gallery. The National Portrait Gallery has the most amazing books that, you know, so if you're going, you need to look at a certain period, go straight to there and obviously there's the good old favorite um there's a book called um, fashions in hair i think and uh you the, the great thing is is that if if people are going on a daily and they're like oh what period is that you know oh it's 1764 you know you can instantly you know in your head you should know certain looks from that period but if you just instantly go to the, your richard corson book literally the night before and you go oh yeah yeah that's what it looks like of course because they have all these drawings from literally every year of period they're great that's it great recommendations so the next question um she wants well they want you to know that they're very inspired by your work mark so um as we all are the question is as a hair and makeup for fashion student who has a great interest in history she wants to um in the future work in period drama film and tv sector so i think you've touched on this earlier with with talking about how you approach bridgerton but her question is how historically accurate should hair and makeup be for a period drama? Well, generally, normally I would be a, an absolute purist and I would stick to the, however it should be. It should be totally there. Um, however, you certain productions are different. And with, you know, with Bridgerton, the whole thing about it from day one was they kind of wanted a fashion-y influence. And like I said, I think earlier, you know, when you're presented with something that looks like Lady Featherington, the, the whole 50s thing, you, ha you have to sort of go with it. And, you know, you, you, you're not really doing it, you're not doing it wrong, you're just doing it your way or the way that, that, that they want it. I mean, again, I could quote um, the, uh, with Queen Charlotte's looks, you know, when you when I went to research the thing, obviously I found out that Queen Charlotte was of African descent, um, and but you know, <clears throat> African women of those times there aren't there aren't really many portraits or pictures of wealthy African women, so you then you're presented with that thing of well, for me I was like I don't want her to to use just the wigs that the white ladies would have worn, I want to celebrate. Her, the, the fact that she was of African descent and 
and bring that into into the looks of her wig. So that's when I decided, you know, to add locks, to add braids, to do the ginormous afro, which was sort of based on Beyonce Knowles in, in uh, Austin Powers. And again, that's so it, it wasn't accurate at all. But we were making some. And I think also what, what we have to remember as well is we Netflix aren't making Bridgerton for the sort of mummies who watch Downton Abbey. They're making it for a, a younger, new generation. So we have to bring that into it, too. And that doesn't mean to say that the mums, I know, you know, lots of people that, that love Downton Abbey who've also loved Bridgerton. But it's nice to bring in a, a, a different audience as well. I mean, I have so many friends who said to me, oh, God, I never watch period dramas, but I love Bridgerton. So, you know, it's great. A question for both of you. What has been your favourite project, um, best moment in your career to date? Obviously, I loved most of the the jobs that I've done. Um, but I think one of my favourites, I, I did a film uh, with Madonna a few years ago. It was, it was directed by her. And it was just a great time, a great summer we filmed in London, Paris, Cannes, New York, and we were with Madonna, you know, and <laughs> I, I was really nervous to start off with because we, we were sort of summoned to her house to meet her because she was said, I don't want to, I don't want the camera test to be the first time that I meet your team. So we were sort of ushered into this little side room, little dining room, and these ginormous goblets of red wine appeared, and then in came Madonna, and I was literally sat at the table, oh my God, I'm sat next to Madonna. Um, but she was charming and she was lovely and she, she was really funny. She has a great sense of humour. And it was just it was just a magical job, really, for me. It was hard work. It was a hard job. We did long hours, and um, but it was it was fun and it was a stylish film. Um, yeah, that was, I think, one of my favourites. For me, I would have to say, apart from working with Mark in the West End, which is obviously <laughs> one of my most memorable highlights of my life, um, I had the pleasure and the amazing experience of working with Yoji Yamamoto, who is my favourite designer. Um, I was living in Hong Kong and I was working there and I worked on three or four different design projects with him and his team. So that was wonderful and we still stay in touch. So, and actually this, if I hadn't been um, a student at LCF and if I hadn't still been working with LCF, I would never have had that opportunity. So thank you, LCF. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Those, those are great uh, examples. So looking looking back, so yes. I learning from yourself. So in a way now, what advice would you give yourself as a fresh graduate? You've learned so much. It's very different maybe when you enter early careers. Is there any anything you might do differently or again guide our um, I would say, because I went to theatre um, for so long, two things. One was I stopped driving and I would have told myself to keep driving because by the time I then got into film, I was really nervous about doing it. Now I love it. Um, but the other thing would be, because I'm, obviously in theatre, you really only do wigs. There isn't any makeup involved <clears throat> because if you made up all the, all the, the cast of the show, you'd literally have to start at two o'clock in the afternoon and they're not going to want to pay people to, to be there for that period of time. So unless you're specifically doing something like the Phantom in the Phantom of the Opera or the Green the Green Witch in Wicked, you, you don't really do makeup. And I have to say, so then when I eventually got into film and had to start doing makeup again, it, 
I was quite nervous of it. So I would say if you're going to go into theatre, just make sure you do things on the side to, to keep up your makeup skills so that you're then, if you, because I always recommend people, when I speak to trainees who want to do period hair, I always say, well, look, go, I think they, you know, they, they sort of want to come into film straight away. And I always say, go and go and work in theatre. And they say, well, I'd love to do a couple of weeks in theatre. And I say, no, try six years minimum and you really will become an amazing period hairdresser and then and then come into to film keep up those makeup skills that will help that well no, i agree exactly the same i didn't want to go into theater and the job <laughs> and i went with it and i would say it was the making of me and um, also i took the advice of one of my um one of my teachers a history teacher richard baines and he said i think you'd be a very good teacher so I eventually went into teaching as well, which I was able to do in combination with working in theatre as a swing. And that's how my career started at LCF. So I didn't want to be a teacher either. But there are. 30 years later. All right, Seth, do you want to wrap up? Last yeah, so last last question to end. Um, looking forwards now, um, in the future of hair and makeup industry, uh, what trends um, do you think are emerging well, I think we're going to see a lot of people with um, very Bridgerton-styled Grecian, almost 1980s bouffant hairstyles. Yes, I mean, on Instagram, I keep seeing an awful lot of um, wedding companies who are sort of posting Bridgerton, you know, Cressida-style basket weaves for weddings. So I think there might be a few of those coming along with, with some hair flowers, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, Vogue have actually predicted that. I looked at something on Vogue the other day and they're predicting a lot of this, you know, kind of fashion sort of twists on the Bridgerton style. And we've seen that when um, other films have, you know, been successful in terms of style and dress and fashion. We're probably going to even see Empire line dresses, maybe long gloves. Mm. I've always loved that Empire <laughs> yeah. line look anyway. I think it's beautiful. So, yeah, I think that would happen. And, you know, I mean, for me, I, I was very new to Instagram. Um, literally before Christmas I think I had something like a hundred followers I've now got almost 7,000 and it's literally from Bridgerton you know it, you know, I, which is kind of weird for me because I'm really not a social media kind of person I've kind of been forced to do it everyone's like you have to do it <laughs> um, but what's been really lovely for me is so many people so many students and 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 even people that have been in the industry for for a while or, or, or hairdressers that want to get into film sort of recreating the looks from the show and then posting them on you know and it's really for me it's really touching I mean I've, I've ended up sort of becoming friends with some of them because you know I liked the thing and then had a conversation with them and you know I'm, I'm talking daily to this guy who, who lives in Canada who's just starting to get he's just got his first job in film from being a hairdresser for, for years and he tried every day he would post a different you know Cressida look or a Daphne look or a, you know and it was just I found it really touching that people were being inspired by our work so yeah it's lovely. And I think that's another thing that students do everybody uh, all the students we know have got an Instagram account and it is a way of getting followers it is a way of getting actual probably some work at some point Instagram and even blogging as well I don't do either of them I'm way behind the times. Well I think that's that's the end of our conversation thank you so much really thank really you. intriguing inspiring i think we all want to start doing great things with our hair now and um we we look forward to some of your your next projects and um Liz, i look forward to carrying on working with you um so thank you